0: Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30 something year old woman and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. I currently live in Florida. Wow, I never thought I would say those words. I live in this small town, which is right on the Apalachicola Bay, it's known as the oyster capital of the world, which I certainly love because I really love oysters. There are palm trees, and I've never lived in a place that has palm trees, and alligators, and many of the town folk get around via golf carts, which is kind of idyllic. It's rural, and although it bothers me to no end that there's no coffee shop for me to sit in and, you know, abuse the free Wi Fi access. Oh, there's also no restaurant that's open past 9 p.m. Although all of that, this town has been really good for me. I needed something to force me to focus on myself, my well-being, my happiness. Six months ago, I was sitting in my apartment in Philadelphia, completely burnt out on my day job burnt out on my passions, on podcasting. My eye was twitching so badly that I actually had to go to the eye doctor and they were just like, I don't know what to tell you, stress? Instead of staying still in that space, I chose to work towards change. Now, change, as we all know, can be arduous and scary, certainly intimidating, but also necessary for growth and often what we need, even if we don't want it. I am in the midst of a huge transition in both my professional and personal life, I guess. And so naturally, that is the central theme of season five of perceived Value, transitions. Each guest has been chosen to discuss a different aspect or experience with change. And as this season progresses, I look forward to sharing about my own transition, and how I've come to find myself in Florida, staring at palm trees. My time here is only temporary, but isn't that the case for just about everything? Support Proceed Value by becoming a member of my Patreon. It's a subscription-based platform which I really like because you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. Thank you to the 33 individuals who have already been supporting this freelancing podcaster. I have a challenge for you, listeners. Help me get to 100 patrons by the end of September. We've got six weeks to make this happen, and I'm confident we can do it. Link is in the description of the podcast, and in just a few clicks, you can be supporting me. Alternatively, become a sponsor of the podcast. There's different levels of sponsorship, including a sliding scale option for students and anyone needing to amplify their voice on a budget. Visit perceivedvaluepodcast.com to learn more. Today's guest is someone who reached out to me while I was in the midst of secretly freaking out about the fact that I was going to quit my full-time day job. Coincidentally, she was in the midst of planning an event to be held at said day job. We connected for coffee. We talked about the podcast and her work. A few weeks later, I submitted my resignation, and her event happened to take place over my last days there. I thought it was pretty special. Helen Marine Cooper is a Philadelphia-based artist who uses wet plate photography as a key component in participatory art practice of placemaking and world building, looking to the politics of family and intimacy. In a pandemic pivot of 2021, she formalized her commercial and commissioned work under the name Vanity Tintype and has been steadfast in her efforts to grow her small business. Cooper offers a range of tintype photography packages in her 19th century-inspired Fishtown studio. For years, I have wanted my tintype taken, and I can now speak firsthand to how lovely of an experience it was being photographed by Cooper I opted for her Victorian parlor setting with a contemporary twist and walked away feeling empowered and beautiful. Thank you, Maureen, for the extreme ego boost and images that will surely become heirlooms. So, please welcome today's guest, Helen Marine Cooper of Vanity Tintype. And giving myself the permission to change the way I approach my mm-hmm. interview format, feels weird and really good.
1: Ooh, I'm in another transition. Is that, I mean, is that, do you think that is a thing as cis femme women that, like, that is, like, more universally experienced, uh, like, needing to give yourself permission, needing to... Oh. Like, is that is that, like, a larger sort of kind of, like, a larger cultural experience, and we all have a point where we have to like pivot and decide mm-hmm. and decide like we can give ourselves permission to do this like this oh, yeah. even if something is like uncomfortable and not good like we talked about um, the pandemic has caused us both to make shifts in our careers yeah and both to think about having a greater sense of ownership and autonomy yeah over how we make a living and what it is that we do to make a living yeah, yeah. even if we like from experience like i i've known for a long time what i was doing was uncomfortable and i didn't i didn't want to continue to adjunct and it was um like the the exact moment i knew i did not want i knew i wanted to leave teaching for a long time but we yeah. were relocating to philadelphia from chicago and i really like on a lark applied for this full-time position that was back in the area and i did and i got the job and i was like okay i mean i guess i'm in teaching for a little longer i'd always wanted a full-time position let's (laughs) i'll do it um and so like i fell out of love with teaching a long long time ago because of all of the other things around it like not being paid for your time um preach but you know it's like it's the kind of thing I was like, "Oh, it's it's all part of it's all part of like paying my dues. It's all part of what goes into eventually getting the tenure track job that I know I want." Mm-hmm. And even though I said I wanted that for years, I stayed in Chicago for 11 years because I was making a body of work in collaboration with the community.
0: Yeah. And I
1: needed to be with them and I needed to be in that space and teaching was never so important that I was willing to take that job in the middle of Minnesota. Like it was never so important that I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like take this job in the middle of Ohio for like two years and then see what happens and do the next thing. Because I was in love with my work. I'm still in love with my work. It's the, yeah. I think in terms of being an artist, there's the reason it is a vocation and not a job is because it doesn't stop when the clock stops. It doesn't stop at the end of the day. You can't clock out. You're always yeah. thinking about it. And there is that... There is that release in that moment when you're making something and you get to the point you figured out what the problem is and how to solve it. And there mm-hmm. is something aesthetic, but there's something intellectual and you know you've gotten there and you know it's good. Yeah. Like that is my purpose to make those things. Well, that's
0: great. You could see that too, because I know the opposite of people that are like, I'm going to uproot my whole family again. Be- to be able to have this opportunity to be that tenure track professor or that student. And if your heart's not in it, then you shouldn't be doing that because it's a lot of work.
1: It's a lot of work. And the other thing is that at a like when I was I started teaching when I was twenty seven. And um it was in the early years, like I was the only person I was responsible for. And um yeah, it changes. My, it changes. Um I did not have student debt. Yeah. Um and I think and I know that that gave me the freedom to say like I'm going to do these shitty jobs to make ends meet. Yeah. But as well I also grew up in a really thrifty household, so almost pathologically thrifty. Mm-hmm. Um so despite the extreme privilege of having education paid for, of growing up in a place and um, a community and a culture where it was not will you go to college? It was, where will you go to college? What is the highest ranking, best school mm-hmm. that you can get into? Despite, despite despite, that culture and those kinds of things, um, uh, my husband and I joke about this, he jokes about it, um, that I always
0: need permission to spend money. Um, right, so this is getting back to the, the idea that I had to give my Purcell permission yes. to change my format. Which, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I think it comes back to the fact that like, I think it's completely different actually for me because I just know that if I have listeners and they expect something from me, I mean, guys, come on. How many of us are pissed off when we love a musician and they have a certain sound and style Mm. that you've come to love over the years and then they put out a new record and it's a completely new direction and you're like, I don't like it.
1: Alternatively, Art 21 is... I don't know what that is. Oh, Art 21 is is a program that PBS has... Been producing since 2000,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, but it's interviews with artists in the 21st century. But they are blue, generally like blue chip artists. Okay, Um, but the format is real quick. Uh Someone
0: used that term around me the other night at the Renwick. Yes, and I was like, "What's a blue chip artist? Can you?
1: What is a blue chip artist? A blue chip artist is someone who shows, uh, someone whose work is at a really huge, famous gallery." This is my definition. So somebody who's at a really big famous gallery in New York or L.A. Mm -hmm. or maybe London, and they entirely make a living on the sale of their work. So they're not doing other jobs and they fit within a fine art context.
0: Who came up with this phrase? Is this like a phrase that you use or is this like known phrase?
1: It's a known phrase. Maybe it's an art school phrase. Oh, got it. It's like a professional it's like a professional designation.
0: Oh, blue chip artist. It's
1: blue so it's like it's fine art. So it's like sculpture, fiber, mm-hmm. photography, painting, maybe video. Um, but it's your a blue chip artist is like collected by major museums, is right. in really um exceptionally well known galleries where people drop lots of money. Um right. so that's so so that's like blue chip. There's um and I think the vision in going like going to art school is like everyone has this fantasy that they can be that person. Oh,
0: you want to be a blue chip artist?
1: Yeah, you wanna okay. you wanna make a you wanna make a living like doing this work, not like doing, you know, like you go from residency to residency. You don't have to worry about like how to support yourself.
0: Yeah, you don't have to like have an you don't have to adjunct hustle on the side of that, your yeah, practice. You
1: don't have to you just you just make the work. Like the studio practice, uh the studio practice, like going to exhibitions, yeah. like studio, the dream. Yeah, you're you're doing that kind of stuff. Um, and so I always I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, I want to I want to teach. That's what I want to do. I yeah. I'm interested in that process. I'm interested in like the world of academia and the world of books. And mm-hmm. um and my fine art works and fits really well into that context. It's I work within an expanded documentary tradition. Um, Can I, mean, I interrupt? Just, yeah, of Because
0: okay. I don't think we've actually acknowledged that those listening. Uh, well, first of all. You are a photographer. I am a, a, Marie, photographer. a photographer. I'm a Say hello to everybody. Ah. Um, excuse us, we just like gone on our little wonderful tangent. Which is
1: why I was like, are we talking yet? Is this, is, I, I can't yeah. like in my mind, I can't pick out the, the, uh, the outline that you previously had. I was like, where are we?
0: Well, you need to drop that. And that's why I say you can't bring an outline to the interview because this yeah. is just a conversation. It Would is. you look down at an outline and like follow conversations at a date? No. Yeah, that'd be awkward. Yeah, it's more like a date. Okay. It's more like a third date. This is a date.
1: It's like a third date.
0: I mean, you've seen my boobs.
1: I have. Actually, you've
0: seen me naked.
1: I'm very lucky.
0: Uh wow, we should give context to that. So (laughs) Maureen is Well, give the give your elevator spiel of like what your business is.
1: So, uh my name is Maureen Cooper. I am a woman living in Philadelphia. I have been in higher ed for 15 years. I am predominantly a photographer and I use a lot of different kinds of photographic tools. So, my training in college was with large format cameras, so four by five. In graduate school, with the digital revolution, I had to learn to do everything digitally. And then around 2013, I thought it was a good investment in my teaching career to learn all of the 19th century practices so that. I could go be a tenured faculty member somewhere at a little school in the middle of nowhere and be able to teach all the stuff. In the time of studying at the George Eastman House in Rochester and learning those processes, daguerreotypes. Um, the more complicated things, like cyanotype someone you could teach yourself. But daguerreotype is really complicated and expensive. Um,
0: ambrotype? I know what ambrotype ambro, is yeah. now, guys. Wet plate.
1: Oh. Wet plate collodion, which is what we were working in. And then uh, dry plate gelatin. Those, So I learned those processes. But ultimately, I fell in love with wet plate because everything has to happen when the chemistry is wet. So... Mm-hmm. We know of it a little more commonly as the tin type, as tin type, which is on a piece of metal. Um, so, so people refer to all of it as tin type when it's not really all tin type. It's only if it's on tin. I made a series of photographs of Sarah on black glass, which is a really beautifully sexy way of working with someone who makes jewelry and
0: loves process and material
1: yeah and material um and it's a way of i think as a photographer getting to have a conversation with the with that world of objects in a way that Mm -hmm. one doesn't necessarily in photography um but i fell in love with the wet plate process and um since the pandemic have begun to pivot into uh leading higher ed and creating this business called vanity tintype And I'm thinking of it as a a boutique wet plate studio and experience. People Mm -hmm. come to my studio. The way I structure a session is based a lot more on my time and a lot less on an object. So I charge per my time um, at different scales because I work at the four by five size, the eight by 10 size, and the five by seven size. So I generally charge based on my time and in and I know that I'm going to shoot four to six images in that time but I don't necessarily know that people want all of them but sometimes they do yeah often they do like me they because they're they're beautiful and when you have an experience with a person and you're making photographs of them in a process that is really um really visible and the the subject becomes a collaborator and can really see what's happening. They're they're deeply entwined and enmeshed in what it is to make that work. Yeah. Um so where where am I going here?
0: I mean, it was interesting because I was having coffee with my friend this morning I was like, ooh, I'm gonna pick up my Ambro types. And yes, I did get on my little like high horse and I was like, uh, it's not a tin type, it's an Ambro type. Thank you. Um but She was saying, somebody said something like, well, I got one once and I just looked scared in it and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, well, I had a whole session. And the first ones I really didn't love. And I do look kind of like a deer in headlights. And we had to figure out the way to, which we discovered was me closing my eyes Mm -hmm. until you said open them. And Mm -hmm. then the photo happened right away. But the point of being is that there was a lot that I just didn't want. Yeah. And to be that not so like... Valuable about it, you yeah. know, because I think with most people, think tin types, it's like, oh, you just get one chance and that's it.
1: And there are a lot, and there are a lot of people out there that structure the payment of it in that way. Yeah. So, like, the price is per tin type. And I have a really good friend who has been, um, pivoting also in this time with the business and we do bi-weekly check-ins with each other and we just talk about our business stuff and give each other suggestions in ways yeah. that other other people might find our, the conversation like really boring and self-indulgent but it's really helpful to both of us and as yeah. I was talking with her how I wanted to make money and make this viable she said why don't you think about charging for your time you know as you know as a maker that you're going to produce X amount but you don't think people are necessarily going to buy all of them but it would really suck if you spent half your day producing all of this work and someone only bought one so you make 10 and then someone buys one 10 type for $125 that would suck right and you've spent an hour and a half prepping everything you're going to spend an hour and a half breaking down and varnishing scanning doing all of that and if they're only buying one of them what is your time worth per hour right and in my life as an educator everything was for free every everything uh, I would advise students when I wasn't getting paid for them
0: I would yeah um I mean, I'm the same way. It's like anybody that DMs me a yeah. question about anything, that's free time.
1: Right. And that's, and it's, and it is, um, for me, the major shift was becoming a mother um, almost three years ago. Um, it was my, I felt like my, t- my time was only valuable to me and it didn't matter how I used it. It sort of did, but not really. Yeah. And then in having a child, if I'm not with her, taking care of her, I have to pay somebody else to do that work, which is, a lot. a lot of money it's a lot and if I you know or I'm negotiating with my partner and if I if he watches her he's watching her all of this weekend without a break yeah. because I'm doing a pop-up and then I have like three different clients three different client sessions in the studio yeah the trade-off is I'm watching her all day Monday
0: wait so I want to get back so To clarify, it's like you pay for a session. Like I had a session. Yeah, so you you, pay for a session, Uh and you get how many photos in that session?
1: So my my five by seven, I think, is the most popular package. It might also be the most popular package because I tell people it is. Yeah. Um, five by seven is really easy to find pre made frames, and you don't have to spend money on the end on the back end with framing. So. The five by seven, um, the session is 275.
0: okay, And
1: so that accounts for me in terms of what two hours of shooting would be, what my prep is, what I know my breakdown is going to be. And then also the cost of chemistry Mm -hmm. and materials, although I can't really figure out like how to price my chemistry yeah. because I work at different sizes and so I can't say that I don't know if 8x10 uses
0: more chemical than a 5 by 7 I know that it uses
1: more but I don't know how much more it uses. Yeah, I can't I can't a
0: Ballpark Roundup always. The
1: only way I've been able to figure it out is like in looking at my taxes last year and look and like all the receipts I've ca- gathered so yeah. I said like so I saw like I made $13,000 on 10 types last year and a third of it um uh four Four to five thousand four thousand, three 000 to four thousand was all of my chemistry materials.
0: Yeah. So, so it's expensive. So it's expensive. I mean, that's the reason why the package is expensive. So you get for that package you get two hours. You
1: get two hours and, and we two
0: pictures that you walk you away walk with. Walk
1: away with two pictures. But we collaborate and we make four to six of those images.
0: Right. Which is getting back to the fact yeah. that I said We had, I mean, we made a lot with We made a lot
1: of pictures. And we also shot on glass, which is more money than tin up front. But
0: the benefit to the glass is that I can reclaim it. and I was going to ask about that because I didn't, I was like, when you're doing tin types and you're making all these tin types and maybe et cetera, I was like, what do you, can you strip them of the chemicals on the top and then have that tin again?
1: You could. I, the people that I studied with said like, it's not really worth it to do,
0: oh, but right, cause I, of work.
1: it is a lot of work and I have saved a bunch in the darkroom right now and I am going to test it in a couple weeks and see if it's really worthwhile. Oh, that could
0: be a nice sustainable thing to add in. And that could be helpful. Um, I do really,
1: um, in all ways in being thrifty, I like being sustainable and, yeah. um, yeah, it's so I um so the four the three or four that you didn't that we didn't want and agreed were like not the cutest. Yeah, those I s- actually like I stripped last night and I just oh nice I, So you can just take it off. Yeah, I just I soak them in warm water.
0: Oh, that's what takes that off is warm water, and
1: then I have to rub really hard. Oh, the, because of the glass. It, yeah, so it nice. it comes off with the um with that movement. The tin won't come off in that way. The tin has to be soaked in um like denatured alcohol.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: So it might be a little noxious. I have to I have to decide if it's really worth it. Yeah, I get to that. To do. You um, could also,
0: I mean, well, then what do you do with these tintypes that they don't buy? I
1: throw them away.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I just throw them away. Do you think you could like... Recycle them?
0: Or keep... Yeah, I mean, if there's any way of like keeping them and then somehow using them for something else. But anyways... There
1: I th- are some that I have. Like yeah. the, when I did the pop-up at Barrio Neal, I did like two... Mm-hmm. so i so when i do pop-up i still don't like the one-off formula i do like doing two
0: yeah um
1: and there is a the, one of the last couples i worked with on one of the days both portraits i made were equally gorgeous of them and for some reason they liked one more than the other and we're like yeah no one is just fine for us so if it's if they if I think it's a really good picture and the people don't like it I keep it for my portfolio Oh, nice. because when I do events or when I'm talking to potential clients I do like to have examples and I like to have a range of different kinds of examples so sometimes I sometimes if I think they're good I just keep them
0: so now everybody understands why I said marine seen my boobs. I had a private session, and it was yeah. something, too, where we did start off with, like... I mean, I also had modeled for a lithography. Lithographer? Huh? Is that the term? Yeah. Okay, you're a photography person. Her name's Susan DeWitt. She's in the Pacific Northwest. She's great. For, in my 20s, I modeled for her, and it was understood that there would be, like, nudity. It mm-hmm. was always, like, layers under, like, mm-hmm. silk and whatever. Um, and I felt like this was very... What's the term for that? Boudoir? Is that yeah. what you would call that kind of thing? I Yes. Yeah. Where I look like I'm from like 18th century, like yes, Marie Antoinette. It looks cool. We styled it's it in a really very beautiful tasteful way. So it's my boob, but it's tasteful. And
1: it was also thinking in like talking with Sarah um, that... You're going to I, so my mom has a friend who is like an uncle of mine like a like a uncle quote unquote um, and he lives he and his husband who is now deceased lived in Chicago and they were like my family when I lived there for a long time mm-hmm. and so when I was in the beginning years of graduate school he was in or when I was in graduate school, I guess he was in his early 70s um, and he wanted like a nude session and he's a bear and like his husband oh, was that. like horrified and he used to go Uncle Lewis. When he was younger, he would go on these like gay nude cruises and write the and like make these epic albums about them and like do narrative. And he um, wanted nude photographs of himself because in his 20s or 30s, he had had this beautiful session done and then he became obsessed with the idea that he would die and his mother would find them. So he destroyed them. And in his 70s, he really wanted this new series of pictures of himself to enjoy. Yeah, And so I think like there's nothing necessary about having nude photographs of oneself, but it is the kind of th- it is like a decadent thing to have in the way that one would have a beautiful piece of jewelry.
0: Yeah. Um, and to- it's empowering. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been single most of my life. And I feel like there's also this thing where I've seen other photographers offer these types of services Mm -hmm. where it's like a pinup style or like whatever. And it's like, oh, well, I don't have anybody to do that for. And I have a very complicated relationship with my body right now. And it was something that I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. And they're just for me.
1: Boudoir can get really cheesy really fast. And I think there's something about... But there is something about like the magic of the experience of how... When you're making an ambrotype or a tintype And showing the person you have photographed The image fixing There's like a visual Like a veil that's lifted And a chemical change that happens Where yeah. something goes from being a blue negative To a black and white image And I think it's that I think it's that process I think it's that I think it's that like Quote unquote like chemistry Between the person who's being photographed And the person who's photographing Like it is a really deeply intimate experience Oh yeah Um, And the funny thing is that like, I guess like bringing it back to like teaching and education and thinking about blue chipness and all of that is mm-hmm. I never really thought I was going to make a living as a photographer or making my work. And right. there's always that that like saying like those who can't do teach. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is very weird because there is this system of privilege within higher ed where photography professors like they would never deign to be a wedding photographer. They would never have a business, but they teach professional practice classes. And right. they kind of have to be able to address their students and in my opinion do it really ineffectively. And what they teach them to do is to write a CV and how to apply for exhibitions and what they real what students really need high expensive school or liberal arts college yeah. it, it doesn't really matter where someone is in college at this point most people need to know how to make a living with and whatever they need, skill
0: and they need realistic options for whatever you're teaching them
1: realistic options realistic expectations they need to know how to use quickbooks they need to know how to budget for an event oh, yeah. they need they need all of those skills but people who have lived there professional lives in higher ed don't know how to do those things because they're not necessary for them
0: oh well i've you know i've I've received listener emails over comments like this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's my podcast. Say it again. Say it again. I think it's bullshit to go straight from high school to undergrad to graduate school Mm -hmm. and then to start teaching classes that are like professional practices or like studio practices. If you've never had to sustain a studio practice outside of academia and actually have to make a living off of your work. Yeah. Absolutely. I just, and I don't and that's not saying anything bad about people that are doing it. Like I understand getting a position in academia and everything you've done. That's not a picnic. That's not easy. But I'm just saying I don't think that's realistic because you yeah. have not a similar socioeconomic background. Yes. Or like life experience yes. or whatever. But so this is why I mean, you keep alluding to academia and yeah. like. Like I'll talk about academia But it bores me And I'm kind of over it Um, I wanted you on the podcast Because Thinking of transitions Thinking of this Is that You have made the decision To Mm -hmm. start this business Mm -hmm. Which you are still In the process of like Adjuncting and like Teaching in some capacity But you're trying to go Full time Making your Living off of your Studio practice Which is
1: amazing Like And so scary So But I've So I I was represented by two different fine art galleries in Chicago. And I don't know that I... In terms of the sale of my work, I don't know... Like, my fine my fine art, fine art... I yeah. don't know that I've ever made more than $6,000 total.
0: In, in my a year 15, or, like, a month? In
1: 15 years. Oh, like,
0: wait, hold on. Woo. That's not even in a year? Like, not 6000 in a year?
1: No, no. I don't think that I have... So, um... I because my because the kind of work that I make is within an expanded kind of documentary tradition.
0: Okay.
1: Um, That that meaning I'm I'm interested in people and their stories. I'm interested in how stories are linked to uh, the choices that people make. So I did um, work for about ten years with a community of African American and Hispanic women who were nail artists in the city of Chicago. So it started with me taking the train and the bus to places and noticing very specific design style yeah. on the nails of some of the women that were on the buses. Okay. And then I started looking for where... I knew that they were not... Um, you know, the the major um, demographic of nail salons in the United States are Asian. Yeah. Um, and I knew based on what I was looking at, it couldn't be like any nail salon I'd ever been to. There was... The what I would call a Chicago style, it's the same palette across every finger, but there's a different design on every finger. And right. the brushwork was so controlled and so precise, and there was repetition of form and line and shape that I knew I, I knew that whoever was making this work was really different than who I had ever had any communication with or expectation about who would be making it. So
0: you documented it but like selling that work. Right. Who's going to buy that because it's in the context of this larger documentarian yes. lens and yes. et cetera. And then, so I understand that. And then that. they were
1: different but I, I made these really large macro photographs for years that were the designs and details like in confections and they're sort of grotesque. So -hmm. I did that for a long, I did that but because I did the work for so long I became friends with the women who made the work. So then I started making portraits in the salons of the women who were the stylists and then and then I started um, and then I started um, actually making custom wallpaper for the nail salons and doing styled shoots of portraits that would live in the salons uh, where we would say like I I would pick um, one of the salons I worked with. It was uh, what's his name, the Rio Cover uh, Nagel. The mm-hmm. whole the whole um, the whole thing was visually based around like Patrick Nagel and uh what his um what his work looked like and how it had been appropriated
0: for salons so i so i um so what i'm hearing is that not only did you make six thousand dollars total over a span of years and this work was not necessarily easily sellable but I'm also hearing that you're spending a lot of money to make the work.
1: I was spending a lot of money to make the work, and I and that's didn't,
0: okay. I do that too. Yeah,
1: and I so, and I didn't have student debt, so I was. But you're not able trying to, to make that. a
0: living off of it.
1: Well, I was. I felt I th- It was part of the piece of how I was going to get that tenure track job. Was right. making that work, having a really strong aesthetic argument. Um, I did, I have over the years gotten a good amount of grants for my work.
0: So circling back to trying yeah. to make a living off of your business. Yes. So I want to talk about that. Sorry yeah, to cut it. you off. Let's I think all it. that stuff yeah. is interesting, but actually what I really want to talk yeah. about is that. Yeah. Um, okay. So vanity type exists. Yes. We've talked about what it is. We've talked yeah. about how you slightly structure the pricing for yes. it and et cetera. Um, to give insight, you still do have a part-time teaching position right now. I have two. But so how much do you make from sure those make? two jobs? Because I want to try to paint a picture of like what you're For bringing people, in yeah. outside to like fund the beginning of your business. Yes, yes, yes. You're uh, doing great. <laughs> I'm being a little aggressive because I'm like, no, nope, I, like, I don't want to talk about no, no, that no, anymore. Steer,
1: steer it. Um, Let's see. Um, I am doing.
0: Like which one do you know how much you get paid per class?
1: They do it in, in Philadelphia area, the way they do it is what you're making per course, not a credit hour. Oh, so you okay. have a contract.
0: Um, Which, by the way, I actually knew because of my first episode I ever did called The yeah. Adjunct Hustle. If you want to learn more about the adjunct pricing structure, yes. go to that episode. Keep going.
1: Um, let's see. How much is it? I, I think of it in terms of like what I get per paycheck. Yeah. Um, one school. What I do you get per paycheck? 470 per paycheck and I get it twice a month.
0: Okay. Yeah, biweekly paycheck is like 500 bucks every 2 weeks.
1: Yep. So that's that and then the other school per class is Five twenty, 520, five twenty-five. Is taxes already out of those? Yeah, taxes are taken out of those. Okay,
0: so you're bringing home like approximately two thousand dollars. Yes. So,
1: but I'm I'm making approximately two thousand in like teaching income per month. Yes.
0: What is your ideal amount of money that you want to bring in a month to support? Well, you have a working husband as well. Yes. But I do know yes. that your husband has been in school. Yes.
1: I do have a spouse who um, is bringing in some money now.
0: That's good. Yeah. So then, okay, so with Vanity Tintype, yeah. you have been running the business full-time for about a year, correct?
1: Yes. Uh, my first pop-up event that I did was Mother's Day of last year.
0: Great. And so this past year, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows, like, it takes a few years to start turning a yes. profit with any kind of business yes. you're starting, I yes. feel like. Um, how, did it, how did you navigate that in the first year? Like, did you know when you were doing that first pop-up that that was the beginning of trying to, like, Yes. Oh, you did? Oh, I nice. Did,
1: I did because I made, I think, one of the things about teaching and one of the things about having an MFA it, and having had a strong and vibrant studio practice for over 15 years yeah. is see, being able to edit, being able to see the through line, being able to see the visual argument and what that looks like. Yeah. And having taught a bunch of professional practice classes, having my own artist website, I knew one of the first things I did when I thought I want to do this as a business was – I need a really professional-looking package. Mm. I need, so I hired a graphic designer. It was important to me. It was a woman. Nice. I hired a designer. We talked about what I was doing. Your branding. My branding. So I. So that was a that was a considerable chunk of money.
0: Oh oh! Can you say how much you paid her? I'm try,
1: okay, I'm trying to remember because I feel
0: like sometimes people get really intimidated by that, or they're like. Well, my friend is going to do my logo and my website, and it just never gets done. Just pay people, people. No, I
1: wanted, I knew that it needed, I knew that it needed to be a professional person who had, I looked at her work, we talked about work, we talked about what I wanted. Yeah. She presented me with a couple of different options for what the branding could look like before she went ahead with it. So it was the colorways. Um, What I wanted was a few posters for pop-up events I would do. Mm -hmm. I wanted a logo. I wanted a font. I wanted stickers to go on the back of my tintypes that have like the name and information. I needed gift cards. Yeah. Um, so all of that packaging was together. And I'm trying to remember now. Like, was it four thousand dollars?
0: T- I was gonna say it was like four or five thousand dollars, I think. It was
1: probably about four. Yeah, forty two hundred maybe. And then she really wanted to do my website and I said like I just cannot afford that. Like I cannot yeah. af- I've I've done this. I I understand that it's valuable and I understand the value of your work, but I cannot afford that right now in terms of what I'm doing. And so she said what if we trade for the ah, website?
0: And notice everyone that the person with the skill set is the one that offered the trade. Yes. I think that's really important. Because yes. also if you write off the cuff are like, Hey, I want to work with you. I think I need this. Can we do a trade? That's awkward.
1: I never would have asked for it. Because and yeah. I um I've had like a other people's pixels website for my fine art stuff for years and years and years. And I did it all myself. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I could like I, I knew I needed to do swear squarespace because I wanted to do e commerce through that. I knew that I needed those tools. Yeah. On that particular website. So I was going to use that. And I just figured like I'd look at what she did and I'd like figure it out. Like I'd look at like her the thing the branding pieces she'd created for me and I would like lay that out. But she offered to do the website because she wanted it as a portfolio piece for herself.
0: Oh, see. Um, you're both getting something out of it. It's yeah, so, a beautiful thing.
1: So she has all of the branding things for me and she was also working as an adjunct at the time.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Uh,
1: she has actually now gotten a full time position. Like a Oh, good congratulations um, on her. Yes, yes.
0: I don't want to talk about academia. I don't either.
1: Um, so <laughs> she um Yeah, so she so we did so we did that as a trade and she had a bunch of different like so, I have gift cards, and yep. um, when I've worked with someone who I really really like, and I like, or I, you know, when I've done a trade with someone whose work I really like, and I would, yeah. and I love their stuff, which happened, which usually is jewelry.
0: As um, I look at her with a necklace of mine on around her neck,
1: with with some heirloom, some family. I just quit my job,
0: bracelets. y'all. I can't pay for ambro types. I traded.
1: It was. I mean, I she love. She offered. I love to trade. Yeah. Um, I mean, like. If you're like making T-shirts, I don't know about that, but like, <laughs> yeah. there's 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 been this really funny, um, this really funny relationships that that I've developed in the last six months with jewelers, and I know a bunch of them now because the value of what I do is similar in price point, and then yeah. I'm also able to scale it. So for right. someone who makes pieces that like start at two thousand dollars, I can shoot. Eight by ten ambro types for them, and then I can do a series of like larger prints that are Pisa. Like there, there are yeah. ways to scale it for working with different people and what different price points are. Um, but we traded, yeah, we traded. So anyhow, yeah. um,
0: so you invested four to five thousand, but you also got a website out of it. Because I did. She traded, with and you. then she, thats a good deal.
1: We did a bunch of, uh, she did a bunch of gift cards for weddings. Oh so people got it. I have had quite a few people who buy gift cards from me as wedding presents.
0: Right, right, right. Um, That's great. That's I've, a great part of the it's business. A, it's
1: really nice. And then I've also had quite a few people in the past year who have come to me as like a date experience.
0: Nice.
1: Because it's um, I'm in sort of in the Fishtown neighborhood, so I'm close to a few cute restaurants and bars. Mm-hmm. Um, And if you come to my studio with your partner or if you have many partners, you bring them. Um, There's, um, in not high infection times where we're not wearing masks, Yeah. um, There's beer and wine and, like, a light snack.
0: Oh, cute. People
1: get to, like, hang out and talk. They can watch the process. They can come into the darkroom with me and see how it goes. Or they can just enjoy the person they're on a date with, and then I'm the entertainment that makes the thing for them. Yeah. They can go out and – then they can go out and have dinner. I can wash, varnish, scan, and they can come back after dinner and take their stuff home.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is an amazing date. Yes. Listeners, she's in Philadelphia.
1: I need to – I think I should, like, reach out to Martha and a couple other places to be, like – how can we like is there a package is there something like partner
0: with right yeah. yeah like especially I mean you know like I do not like this holiday Valentine's Day yes I mean as I said as a single woman but you know that kind of stuff around yeah. that like how special is that
1: yeah to do so I have uh, throughout the year I've been doing those kinds of things with folks which is which is really fun
0: so you're in your second year yeah of the, uh-huh. okay so to get back oh, to number. My question, I, make, I
1: want six thousand a month
0: Thank you. I That's make, what I want.
1: Um, I want to take home six thousand a month,
0: and everyone. So you know, when we start to think about that, it's like you're paying taxes. Yes, and you have your overhead costs, which are yes. your chemicals or whatever. Your which is about
1: thirty percent. My studio is in the front of my house, and this is a mm-hmm. really strategic choice. Um, when my husband and I moved back from Chicago. So yeah. I, so the one benefit to the full-time academic position I had is that I was able to
0: qualify for a mortgage because oh. I had a full-time position. I was going to say, it was like, when you first gave me your address, I was like, oh, she owns a house in Fishtown in this area. And typically the, the conversation is, we bought it 10 years ago because Fishtown has blown up and yeah. so you got it for really cheap. But I still am like, she's such an adult. She owns a house.
1: <laughs> but I also inherited money from my dad.
0: Ah, yeah.
1: And so that what like with an adjunct salary and not having student debt, I couldn't have done this. Right. And it is the tremendous gift that my father gave me and yeah. keeps keeps giving, but yeah. it's also I think about money in a really practical way. And yeah. I think and to me having a house made sense. We wanted something, I needed something where my studio could be in the front of it. When I was first out of graduate school, I could barely afford a studio. And so my studio was in the basement of my apartment building. Mm. And I paid $70 a month. And it was really good, it was really instrumental for me in developing a strong studio practice, being able to go down there at any time of day or night and make work. Yeah, That was really important. And then as I had more experience and was making more money teaching um, and also assisting another photographer, I had more income so I was able to um, I was able to rent a studio in Chicago which I loved for several years. I split it with a friend it was 500 square feet we each paid 250 a month. nice And it was a great space where I worked for many years. I had a really vigorous practice i was there at least 20 hours a week making work
0: so it was worth the investment it was
1: worth the investment though the work that i made there that was fine art that was sold with my gallery i never in 15 years made more than six thousand dollars doing that
0: i mean that was the whole point of my conversation earlier where i was like get back to the six thousand dollars thing like where was that it was
1: never more than six thousand but i can say that over the years, with the kind of work I've made, I've I've gotten a number of grants for my work. Right. So within the city of Chicago, not interesting?
0: Not interested, because you're getting me off topic, which is what I want to talk about your business. I have to okay. get back to got it. got it, got it, got it. You're great, thank you. But what I really yes. want to get to the heart of is that you made this big transition. We made the big transition. How, that's mm, my question. <laughs> you made this big transition. How has this affected, A, do you feel financially stable yet? That's my first part of my question. I'm going to ask the second part. And B, how has this affected your mental health to be go working towards building something for yourself?
1: Um, the shift in my mental space from this time last year to today is worlds different. I don't recognize her. Oh, um, I
0: hope that's me in six months. It's,
1: I mean, it's this is the first time in my life I've been able to say to people like, no, I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. Like there, yeah. there are people that will contact me and then I won't hear from them. So I'll do a follow up and they'll say, oh, you're too expensive. And I don't mind.
0: Oh God, I love that. In
1: my, um, and I'm like, yeah, but you live in that. But like you already told me in our conversation that you live in this particular apartment building. So I know that you spend your money in different, you have different values for how yeah. you spend your money than I would. And I don't, and that person is not my client.
0: Fair. I love that you get to, you get to be choosy. I
1: get to be choosy. And in my previous life, I was really happy to bend over backwards for people and to make it accessible. And I don't, part of the brand that I'm building is not about being accessible.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, you're, this is a luxury.
1: It is a luxury and it's a luxury experience.
0: And it's a luxury experience, which Mm -hmm. I can speak firsthand to. Thank you. And yeah and it's worth the value but you have to i understand good for you for saying no to things
1: And it's but it's you know, it's been um it's been a journey of learning how to do that. Like I wasn't raised to say no. I was raised to be really helpful to everyone who had any issues and it was something I learned from both of my parents because of their behavior. Yeah. I also did not learn how to structure my time from them or how to structure a space. Yeah. Um at all. And those are really hard those are really, really hard things to learn. Yeah. Um having this building where we live and where my studio is was a practical choice because I'm not paying studio rent. Yeah. And when we moved back to Philadelphia and I started looking for studios for the size that I needed. So like as so when I went into JV Collective and I looked at the space, I was like, oh, yeah, this would be a fine size space for me. Mm-hmm. But there are like five of you in there.
0: Yeah, we're jewelers. We're small.
1: But, the, but and that's like the amount of money that I would need to have that kind of space in Philadelphia. Oh, it feels like throwing away.
0: Oh, it's a whole other rent. You would be paying like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars. and we
1: were paying. And we were living in the when we first moved back, we were living in the Thai factory in uh, Kensington over like at Fifth and Cecil, mm-hmm. and our rent was like sixteen hundred a month. Yeah. And I wasn't. And I had inherited money from my dad, and to me, like that voice was like. I will be throwing I will be throwing three thousand dollars away a month if I do this. Yeah. I am I am wasting money if I do this. But it is because I had a consistent looking salary that I qualified for a mortgage. Well then And that was thank you,
0: academia, for that.
1: And that was the benefit of being able to do that. And I knew we were planning to have a child and I knew that for what it was going what those early years were going to be like everything needed to be in one space in terms of what our financial health was going to look like yeah but also in terms of like what my mental and emotional health would look like
0: yeah so um also do you know the exact square footage of this because you can write that off on your taxes I
1: do I have an arts accountant who I have worked with for years (laughs) but what I have learned in working with people like she mostly though works with people who are fine artists and like essentially like my fine art practice as someone in higher ed was like a tax write-off
0: Oh yeah, and that's a whole other thing. That's but all I'm what saying it was. like, yeah. for someone like me who works out of my house, my accountant this year was like, "What's the square footage yes. of that room yes. that you're like?" Even if you're just doing emails there, and if
1: you own your house, you're able to take off the interest on your mortgage. If you Ooh. own your house, you are able to take off your utilities. You're able to take off. Oh yeah, there are a lot of. Additional I mean, I can pieces. take off
0: my util a for portion your, of my utilities, okay. and I rent
1: and your cell phone.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, you don't actually have to uh, own because of that, but. I don't know about the other mortgage thing, but yeah. yeah. So,
1: but I don't have a good business arts accountant is what I've come to. I got one. She's great. Well, maybe. Mm.
0: Maybe I need to give her name. I've already given her like three names. She's like,
1: I've had, I have had. I've enough new people.
0: No, I also love her because she works with a lot of um, sex workers. And so she has a lot of insight on things that I think would be really good for you. Because I was oh. trying to get my manicures written off because I'm a jeweler and I take yeah. pictures of my hands a yeah, lot. Yeah,
1: I would think you should be able to write that off.
0: No, but if I wanted to get my hair cut or hair done before doing a session with you and that was going to be used as my headshot... Mm-hmm actually like i could write off the jewelry i traded for you yes because i am using one of those photos as a headshot
1: in Inter- because you have it counted as inventory in your like you claim yeah. it as inventory in your taxes
0: yeah like if i like did it a sale i don't know i'll have to think about that no one dm me on this little thread here but yeah i'm going to work through that
1: but the it's the like that um i the person the cu- the, the the couple that does the framing for me yeah um they have become they've become really good friends and um Lori has has talked to me pretty extensively about she does all the bookkeeping for their business. Yeah. And she's talked to me pretty extensively. She's like, your arts accountant is no longer good for you. You need mm. you need someone who can like you pay your monthly taxes, you pay your state, you pay you gotta do yeah, this. You gotta this, this, do your quarterly this. taxes. And um it is just extremely sexy. I, I think it like... I
0: love talking about taxes. It's like taxes my new favorite thing. Taxes and
1: money and being able to ask for what you're worth and to not... to not... to not compromise. Yeah. Like that... That... Like there's a whole new level of confidence in my life because of that. Yeah. And... I mentioned earlier that I always need permission to spend money and it has to be really, really practical in all of these ways. Yeah. But beginning to make revenue. So in the month of May, I made I've made six thousand dollars. Okay, I was
0: that was gonna be yeah. Thank you. You read my mind. Yeah, you, you got back to it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so you did make six thousand dollars in May. I $6,000. And six, the month's not even over yet. Yeah,
1: I made six thousand dollars in May. More than probably more than may probably Congratulations.
0: Seven. Is this the first time you've done that in a month? Yes.
1: And it's partially because I did two pop ups. So I did two I I have uh, yeah. two pop-ups, and that's a way of getting a lot of clients at one time. Yeah, but the ultimate goal is really not to do pop-ups; it's to be mm. doing private sessions in the studio. The pop-ups are what I'm doing for exposure and to drive people to the studio.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, you're um, a new business. You're not. It's gonna very like, new. It's you're very in a new. vacuum. You can't yeah. like just like have yeah. a booming yeah. clientele right off the bat
1: yeah and um so I'm doing um I'm doing a pop-up at like a country music party in July and I hadn't been to the party yet so mm-hmm. last night uh, my sister was gonna come over and I was like oh, vanity Tin type wants to take you to this event <laughs> <laughs> and she wants to buy you a drink.
0: Yay, I love and so, that. And
1: so I'm, you know, it's, um, there there are expenses I have. I have a former student of mine is in the studio with me about six hours a week. Right. Um, and I pay her out of that and yeah. out of my teaching. Like it's a mix of where I take that money from. Yeah. Um, I pay her $15 an hour. Um, she does, I trained her in wet plate collodion three years three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. So she has that skill set, but I never, I don't really have her do that for me. Um, she's a graduate student at Tyler, uh, mm-hmm. Bethany Riley, who is amazing. Shout out, Bethany. Um, she does, she has a lot of construction skills, so she mm-hmm. uh, she builds a lot of things for me. Cool. She's been doing a lot of TikToks for me, a lot of social media, a lot of that kind of like social media production, which is really necessary. Yeah. Um, but... Um, you are sitting in my studio and I made it tidier than it was but it is um, very much an ADD, an ADHD masterpiece in here <laughs> um, because there are like little piles of organization yeah, and it's totally. it, like on a surface it looks okay. Um, I would love to have her two days a week. I think we could figure out a lot more if I had someone else. Yeah. Um, the well, other- that's the
0: whole problem of growth, right? Like right. you need the help before you can afford it yes. and it's getting to that part where you actually have to like jump in, be yes. feel a little broke to get that help to yes. get you to the next level of growth.
1: Because I'm... De- like, I, my daughter goes to bed around 8.30 every night. And so, like, from the time I pick her up from daycare until when she goes to bed, it's, like, four hours of, like, time with... Like, it's making dinner. It's, like, yeah. getting her bath. It's, like, doing those things. It's spending time with her. And then she goes to bed um, and I come down here and I work for three hours. Yeah. And the nights when I don't... And usually... Um, so, because the semesters are over, I'm in the studio working all day. Yeah. Um, so Tuesday through Friday, I'm here in the studio working all day. I pick her up there a few hours, and then I work another three hours at night. And so mm. the nights the nights that I cannot bring myself to come downstairs and I just doom scroll. Yeah, I feel like I'm behind like i there's there's yeah. there's an incredible collaboration I did with a florist in uh, Norristown, in March that I still have not gotten edited because all these other things are happening but I want to do I want to do like high end wedding stuff
0: so I have a few questions for you um When do you think, are you going to be applying for adjunct teaching positions for this fall semester? I'm
1: not applying for anything new. So the thing, the places, I'm scheduled to teach three classes this fall.
0: And you're going to do it.
1: And the way that I've done it, um, my friend Liz, uh, we negotiate these things. She like gives me feedback a lot. And it's, if you're going to teach, condense it. So the class that was two days a week at Rutgers, I was able to convince them to make a full day Friday class. Okay, and then the classes that I'm teaching two at St. Joe's, and that is Tuesday back to back. Like I have like a, maybe an hour and a half break, right? And then I also had to negotiate because they wanted to make it a night class, which doesn't get done until nine thirty, and then I'm not back in this neighborhood until ten o'clock, and I can't find any parking, right? And then I'm exhausted when my child wakes me up at six in the morning.
0: Yeah, so no, I you can't. don't do so, that.
1: So I've negotiated that my class is done by 8 o'clock. Um, so that's Tuesday afternoon into evening and then Friday. Um, Good for you. So so those I was able to tighten up a little bit more. I'm not looking for anything else. I don't want any more.
0: Well, because you're running a business. Like, I don't know. I'm Otherwise, you're just teaching, going right back to the thing where I'm like, part of the reason why I quit my full-time day job is that, like, burnout is not cute. No. And just because we want to run our own business and, like, be in control of our mm-hmm. Creative practice and how that yeah. like gets us a paycheck doesn't mean we have to work seven days a week, and it, we shouldn't.
1: And I and um one I think you had talked about this on an episode previously, like people talking about how busy they are, and oh, like I'm the, so the clout, the clout of being busy, and it's not no, I don't like, I don't want that.
0: Yeah, I hope that you do find like as you are strict with like taking control of like condensing that teaching, yes. that you also do that for your downtime.
1: And it was, so I talked to my my dad's financial planner yesterday about things. Yeah. And um, we were talking about some of the long-term things I wanted to do. And I said, well, you know, maybe staying at Rutgers is a good idea because they have a, you know, they have like a pension plan. And it's small, but and he was like, yeah, but as an entrepreneur, there's a very specific kind of IRA you can set up for yourself. That's not a Roth. That's not a yeah. traditional IRA. There's a di- there's a whole different category of IRA, and you can put six thousand dollars in that a year. He's like, so
0: actually, it doesn't make sense for you to keep doing that. God, we love a financial advisor. I'm tr- I'm looking for one to work with in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, if you I know a good one.
1: I don't know. I don't. This guy was like my dad's guy. I have He's some, some not guy very, that was my
0: grandpa's guy, and yeah. I don't want that. I want somebody that like understands my needs and wants yes. and who I am. Yes politically yes I, I, yeah. and I
1: think I think that is complicated so if there is an amazing woman out there who is like has an MBA and is thinking of making that happen please because I'll come to you too <laughs>
0: dm us perceived value podcast at gmail.com um we have to wrap up yes. I'm so sorry I oh could talk goodness. to you forever well we're
1: gonna talk over lunch so
0: we're okay. gonna talk over lunch which they're not privy to but yes. you know um is there anything you want to add to the conversation I
1: um I just I have more control and better boundaries in my life and with having this business and I'm actually making money selling the work I make like
0: congratulations
1: in in a month I have made in my studio making types what I didn't make in 15 years as a fine artist showing with galleries
0: and on that note congratulations thank you that's really great um and that's your story. I mean, everybody's different. That's Some people are probably killing it in the fine art photography. But for you, you pivoted to something that is going to make you that money. And that's exciting.
1: And the conversations are amazing. Like, everything that I used to love about the previous life and the previous work evaporated. And when I went to Kung Fu Necktie last night and was talking to, like... One woman I've been DMing with for a while about her vintage clothing and then the people who run this party, like the interactions that I got to have and like with them about like what they want their event to be, what they're making it out, like those communications are so authentic and so real and really energizing and having nothing to do with like the boring structure of the things I used to do or think about. Yeah. Um, And I get to meet great people. Like I get to meet great like-minded people. Like generally douchebags stay away from what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, that's yeah. good. Okay. Well, yeah. Maureen, I'm really hungry and we're going to go get some Ethiopian food, yes. which I'm very excited about. Yes.
1: Yum, yum, yum. But thank
0: you so much for being on the podcast. It has been A lovely time speaking with you. And thank you for letting me push you around on the mic. I
1: loved it. I was like,
0: no, no, this is what I want to talk about. Well, you know, like I'm in a big transition and one of the big transition also coming out of two years of remote recording or whatever is like taking more ownership of the direction of my conversations. It's my podcast. I want to talk about what I want to talk about. Absolutely.
1: I like that. Absolutely. Congratulations to you too. Oh, thank
0: you. All right, everyone, this has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. Until next time. Proceed Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Proceed Value. Stream us directly from our website at ReceivedValuedPodcast.com, or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.